0: Welcome to the Modern Merriman podcast with Tom Hicks and John DeVito. Modern Merriman is a podcast on the Man of God Network brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. We're hosting a weekly conversation on the law and the gospel so that church leaders and Christian lay people will rightly divide the word of truth. Well, Tom, I'm glad to be back here with you again, man.
1: It's good to see you, brother.
0: Do you mind? uh, We have another guest uh, today. Do you mind introducing our guest for uh, this podcast episode?
1: Yes, absolutely. Well, we have the privilege of having Nathan White with us, and Nathan is pastor of Christ Reformed Baptist Church in Lookout Mountain. Uh, He did his undergrad at Covenant College and is MDiv at Westminster Theological Seminary uh, in California and at IRBS. And so, uh, Nathan, it's great to have you with us.
2: Uh, It's great to be here. Thank you for having me on. It's a privilege. Grateful for your ministry, for your friendship, and look forward to talking with you.
1: Amen, brother. Well, this episode, we wanted to talk with you about the dominion mandate. And so just to get us started on this question, how did you become interested in studying this doctrine and why do you think it's important?
2: That's a great question. And, you know, I've, I've got some personal history when it comes to this issue. Um, about 10 years ago, I, I was a member in good standing at a, at a confessional Reformed Baptist church um, when a couple of things happened. Uh, a friend introduced me to N.T. Wright, and uh, specifically the book *Surprised by Hope*. Uh, I read that, uh, devoured it. Um, Albert uh, Walters' *Creation Regained* was another one. I um, read some Tim Keller stuff as well. You know, he talks a lot about the the goodness of the city and seeking the welfare of the city. Uh, and so, you know, I was being challenged by some of the stuff that I was reading. Um, But also, um, I began taking some Bible classes at at Covenant College as part of my undergrad. And there was, there was kind of a a strong cultural mandate or dominion mandate in in some of the courses there. And, and, you know, I I do want to be clear, I I had an amazing experience at Covenant. I think it's one of the best, if not the best Christian liberal arts school in the United States. And not, not every professor had the same type of Dominion mandate or cultural mandate emphasis, uh, but I, I started soaking it up. I started reading stuff that they were recommend, re- recommended to me, and um, I really became a little bit disenchanted with with maybe confessional reformed or confessional reformed Baptist theology and emphasis. I felt like the church ought to do more social work. Uh, I felt like our, our, our focus on the Great Commission was too narrow. Mm. Um, and, and so I really kind of swallowed it hook, line, and sinker. Mm. And it, it, so I, I guess that's how I became interested in it. But, but then at the, it, on the other side of it, um, the first book I kind of read that challenged my views was, was Kevin DeYoung and Greg Gilbert's book, What is the Mission of the Church? Mm. Making sense of social justice and shalom. And, and I was challenged, and, and, and uh, I, I really, reading some of their arguments, um, I began to kind of see another perspective. And uh, then, of course, I went to seminary at Westminster Seminary, California, and IRBS, and I was really confronted with, you know, a rigorous biblical and, and academic, uh, you know, what I would see a more faithful uh, interpretation of the biblical text. And and so that's really what why it's a long answer to your question, but that's how I got interested in it. And and um, um, you know this is a, a journey that I've been on personally and experienced both sides, and and so it's very meaningful to me.
0: Hmm. Amen. Well, that's that's really helpful, uh, brother. Uh, why don't we move then a little more more directly into uh, the scriptures and the text? Of course, uh, many of the listeners, uh, hopefully all of them, will be familiar with this passage of scripture, but Uh, Genesis 1, uh, of course, we have uh, this, what's usually called the Dominion Mandate, or like you say, cultural mandate, Uh, but Genesis 1, uh, 29, um, we, or I'm sorry, 29, uh, beginning with uh, 26, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And of course you can go down through the rest of the chapter. Um, but, but in light of, of this text, then uh, what do you understand the Bible to mean here in Genesis when it speaks of having dominion?
2: That's a great question. And, um, you know, when you, when you look at Genesis one twenty eight as, as you just read, uh, there's kind of a, a purpose clause in let him have dominion. Um, and I think the purpose clause can be summarized in, in God saying, let us make man so that he might rule. And, and so I think when you talk about, I mean, the, the word dominion it kind of, you know, is, is related to the idea of ruling, of conquering. Um, so, so here's man made in the image of God. Here's man given uh, as image bearer, a commission to rule and a responsibility to, to be like God. God had been working and, and creating and taking dominion over the created realm. Um, and he calls us as his image bearers, to be workers as well. Hmm. But I think one thing that might be often lost in this is that God also reveals himself as a God who rests.
1: That's and, a good point.
2: And, and you know, it. When we think about the idea of, of even work created to work, created image God, it's hard to it's hard to really make sense of that uh, without kind of the the end goal in view. God God doesn't work without a purpose. He he doesn't work without an end or or goal. He he works in order to to complete it and and to rest from it. And so we too are, are at least in creation, at least in Genesis one. We don't just work indefinitely, we don't just work, aren't commissioned to work uh, forever just just to work, uh, but, but the Sabbath rest is put for, before us um, as the goal to, to work as God worked and to rest as God rests. And so Adam is called as to subdue the earth as, as God's vice-regent, uh, to, mic, uh, to mimic his creator. Uh, to, to to walk in the pattern set before him in the six day creation account, and, and to rule in order to obtain that Sabbath rest set set out before him.
1: Amen, brother. That's a that's a good explanation. I would I have a question just to tease out this a little bit more and see what your thoughts are. Do you do you see that there's any sense in which you know especially if you connect this to Psalm eight, and you may be going here later in the podcast, but that human beings just created in God's image are given authority by God to rule his world. I mean, would you say that like, to, or to, or to give an authority to act in God's world with the power that God has given them in a godly way. And that that's connected to the dominion mandate. Like, especially if you look at it, it in its context, it seems like it's over animals, you know, like the fish of the sea and the birds and, and so on. And so is maybe just speak to that in terms of how you process that piece of it.
2: Yeah. And, and that's a, that's a good question that, that kind of gets us a little bit in the weeds because you know, <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's hard to parse out. And, uh, you know, when we talk about the creation mandate, you know, in some sense, of course um, it, it's still there. And, um, so when we when we when we when we talk about how do we fulfill it in a fallen world, uh, you know I would argue, of course, that that it looks differently than it was given to Adam, but some of the vestiges of it still remain. And uh, uh, absolutely, there there is a there is a authority as man made in the image of God uh, to to rule over over the created realm over over the animals, and and to do that in pursuit of of the original dominion or. what that looks like now in the world though is where where things get a little bit a little bit dicey what exactly does that mean that's a typical question to answer
1: yeah well thank you uh so what what do you think people mean today when they speak of the dominion mandate i've actually heard all kinds of words for this creation mandate cultural mandate i'm not even sure what they all dif- all the different indications mean but just thinking particularly about dominion mandate uh what do you think people Typically, mean by that?
2: I think that it's going to be interpreted differently uh, in different theological circles. You have the the extreme. Uh, you got to be careful; maybe not extreme, but the the, the, the ultra conservative theonomists, uh, for example, um, uh, or uh, other forms of, of high Presbyterianism, for lack of a better term where there's a, a strong emphasis on, on, um, on uh, yes, making the laws of the land uh, reflect God's law uh, on having lots of children and, and taking dominion in a, in a very conservative sense of fulfilling that original mandate. Um, but then you have the other end of the spectrum uh, where you have more of, of neo-Calvinism a uh, Kuyperianism, and, and and they're emphasizing that God is sovereign over all of life. So um, that famous phrase by Kuiper, "Not one square inch that Christ doesn't say is mine," yeah. which of course we agree with in it in, in a right. sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, they're, they're calling Christians to act in a Christian way in every area of life. Um, I read I read yesterday an author say that. Um, Christian authors say that every decision that we make to spend money is a spiritual decision. And I was sitting there thinking, wow, I mean, uh, putting gas in my car, is that a spiritual decision? Buying a piece of candy for my, your 25 cent piece of candy for my daughter, is that a spiritual decision? I mean, I get what he's trying to say, but there is this emphasis on everything in life has to be explicitly Christian or redemptive.
1: Yeah. It's like, there's no room for adiaphora either, like a morally indifferent thing that God doesn't like, you know, scratching your head, cutting your hair. You know, I mean, I guess some of these things could be if they're sin, you know, you can, there's sinful ways to do various, almost any activity, but, but I think your point is well made. You know, we can, uh, we can go way beyond what the scripture does and, and, uh, and that sort of a thing. So thank you.
2: And that's great. You know, that's a great way of, of, of putting it. Um, because one of the questions here is, is the legitimacy of the secular world. Mm-hmm. And, and that's one of the yeah. things that, that we're struggling. What, what is the relation between our faith and our common work? Do we yeah. look at participation in the ordinary um, occupations and endeavors and institutions of the world, whether it be our neighborhood, whether it be government, whether it be our workplace? I mean, how do we look at those things as Christians? Uh, do we look at them in terms of God's um, you know, preserving grace as common grace? Upholding these aspects of the created order, or do we look at them more through the redemptive lens that you know we are called, in some sense, to to work towards a Christian society and see these as institutions that need to be redeemed and brought in or made part of the eschatological eschatological kingdom of Christ. Um, yeah, legitimacy yeah. of secular work.
1: Yeah, I mean, even think of you talk about the institutions. You think of uh, marriage and family. Marriage is temporary. It's not even an institution that is eschatological. So there is no saving of the institution of marriage, right? Um, because it's going to go away you know, when we get to the eschaton. And some, not that we're not to be Christian in marriage and follow God's commandments in marriage. All that's true. But it's a, it's a category error, isn't it? That's what you're saying. It's, it's mistaking God's rule over one sphere for his rule over another sphere.
2: Yeah, Absolutely.
0: Well, you, 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 you even hear today among a, a number of Christians really a, a questioning or even a rejecting of the very idea of secular, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll uh, critique the sacred secular distinction. And uh, while, while sometimes I, I think what they're critiquing is important um again there's a sovereignty of god overall right uh there's uh you know we're we're christians 7 days a week not just when we worship and some of those kinds of things they're bringing out i think are helpful and true uh and and yet at the same time if we totally collapse sacred and secular uh in every sense together uh we we wind up uh losing really this uh these these important distinctions that we need to to keep in mind uh to to yeah. live you know, as Christians in this world.
1: Some of it seems almost terminological, though, to me, too, because when people hear the word secular, they hear, you know, wicked, <clears throat> you know, uh, like secular meaning worldly in a in a biblical sense of the world. So this, the evil system, when really all it meant, se- the word seculum, right, Latin is the world in the sense of, that we that we share physically in this world and so maybe a better way of distinguishing is uh, between the common kingdom and the sacred kingdom so there's a kingdom that we share together that commonly with others not that we have common ground ultimately uh in terms of the largest questions but we have but we share commonly uh in in the world that god has given us we have to live together you know and there's a there there's a common standard for that is that what, I mean, what, what do you think, Nathan? I mean, we're maybe getting way off track here. I don't know, but what what well, do you think about
2: these things? Well, well, as you're speaking, I'm, I'm going to take us even further off track. I think um, bring it, man. What, what's amazing. You know, we're talking about the church. We're talking about the Christian life, but, but what's um, I, I think amazing is that, that, that this type of perspective is becoming more and more popular in our society as well. And, um, you know, um, particularly with a younger generation the millennials. Um, I I think in some sense, we watched our our boomer parents grow up, (laughs) um, converted at a Billy Graham crusade, um, you know, uh, a decision that that had little effect on their life. And we've watched them pursue individualistic material wealth. And I, I think not just Christians, but just the younger society is, in general, is kind of throwing off that old garb. And, and they want to see something more meaningful to their life, to their vocation, specifically. Mm. Um, you know, and I think that is part of what explains why a lot of companies are, are throwing their lot in the, uh, the, the social action um, yeah. discussions. Um, I was doing online banking today and I, and I saw a web page on my bank where they're dedicated to LGBT rights and, and Asian American advocacy and Black Lives Matters. And and you know this generation doesn't just want to earn a paycheck and live, you know, a quiet and simple life. They want to feel like their vocation is actually part of something bigger, and the and the companies that they give their business to yeah. uh, are, are doing something to make the world better. So it, it's it's
1: utopian. Inf- it's utopian. It's just it's eschatological.
2: Utopian. Exactly. So uh, there's a secular emphasis of this, but I think. You know, uh, oh, I mean, I should say there's a Christian emphasis of this, of course, but there's also a secular emphasis of this, and, and it's, it's striking. I think it's very noteworthy, and just in regards to the, the, the modern thought and direction of our world. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Well, you know, uh,
0: continuing to think about the dominion mandate, then, uh, as Genesis unfolds, of course, we have uh, the. Uh, creation, not only of of Adam from the dust of the ground, but uh, him being placed into the garden um, and there being the uh, covenant of works that is then entered into, right? And so how do you then see this dominion mandate, which is given in Genesis 1 with, say, the covenant of works that we read more about in Genesis uh, 2? Hmm.
2: Well, it's important, I think, to note that you know, God created the world. He gave objective meaning and purpose to the world as a whole, and and of course, um, in, in that, and that's not just the world. That, uh, excuse me, not, that's not just humans. That's to the entire world as well. The world is not random chaos, um, and and I think the structure uh, and the purpose and even that goal that tell us that. Uh, is embedded in creation is what we call the covenant of works. Uh, it's easy to look at that as just soteriological. Um, but but you know, there's more to it than that. And um, so, you know, we are made as image bearers uh, of God, and we have this moral calling and purpose to to mimic uh, our creator. And, and that kind of informs who we are as humans and and what we are created to be. And, you know, this goes back to just why this question is important in the first place. Um, origins tell us a lot. What, whether we are, you know, what family we came from, our, our, our cultural heritage, our background, um, the time that we are raised, our family history, for reason, because our origins really inform a lot about um, you know, they, uh, I should say they shape they shape our lives in profound ways. And so, when we talk about creation and we talk about the covenant of works, that is our ultimate origin, and we're called to to act in accordance with that uh, as creatures. And we're we're given, as uh, I spoke of earlier, that that eschatological orientation to work and to rest and and to obtain that that the rest set before us in creation. And so, I, I can't see how we can separate. The Dominion Mandate from the Covenant of Works. I mean, it, it kind of just the Dominion Mandate really is a summary way of speaking of the Covenant of Works, uh, including the goal that's you know set before man and creation as well.
1: Yeah. So if if you take for if you take the Dominion Mandate, if what you mean by that is to rule the world to expand the borders of the garden, take over the world, extend culture and have life as the eschatological goal. Uh, I I think that's, a, that nails it. That's exactly true. And I do think the dominion mandate in, is wrapped into that whole thing in the covenant of works. I, I totally agree with you. And one of the dangers I think is that there's two sort of theologies and we're going to talk about this Lord willing in the next episode with you. Uh, to some degree but um you know the question becomes in christ now that we're redeemed in christ do does he now give us grace to join with him in accomplishing that original eschatological goal of the covenant of works so it's his works plus my works to achieve the life and you know redemption of the world together with jesus uh, I think is a very dangerous way of thinking of things I as mean, a heresy, because the truth is Jesus alone accomplishes the eschatological goal of the covenant of works, and he gives it to us as a gift of free grace. And we do not work with him to achieve the eschatological goal of the covenant of works. He does it alone. And so this question is important in my mind, partly for that reason. So I thank you for speaking about it today with us.
2: It's a great way of putting it. We are receiving a kingdom, not building a kingdom
0: amen brother well nathan i appreciate that and uh tom uh, you've given us a little taste of what's hopefully to come in our next episode but well, we want to thank everyone for listening to the modern Merriman podcast on the man of god network brought to you by covenant baptist theological seminary if you'd like to know more about cbts please visit us online at cbtseminary.org. that's cbtseminary.org.